Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to get back to our April book picks because last week we just talked so much about vacation reads and just kind of catching up that we didn't get to all of our April picks. And we also wanted to talk about uh, backlist books. We thought it would be fun if each of us every week highlight a backlist book because as readers, we know that we find our books everywhere. Uh, We do have a lot of curiosity, of course, about the latest reads and what the latest celebrities are picking for their book club picks. But I'm always, you know, when I see people reading old books that I love or, you know, when I think about books that I still think about or still recommend, I there's just a special place in my heart for backlist books. And I feel like as readers, we really don't care when a book came out so much as is this a really good book and, and do I want to recommend it to my friends? So we want to make sure that we keep those books in sight. I think we do. We, we mention a good amount of backlist because I feel like we're always talking about books in comparison to what we've read or what we want to read or if we've read it by a different author. But I also think it would be just really fun to take a look in our archives and to present a book each week that we still think stands the test of time or that we really enjoy and that we want to recommend. And um, so that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Okay. Should we do a quick check-in on reading? Let's do a quick check-in on reading because I finished a couple of things that I'm really excited about and I'm starting books that I'm really excited about. So I feel like I'm in a good, like I'm in a place where I'm reading a lot of books that I really like. So that's always fun. All right. So tell us, tell us what you read. Okay. So I read this book last year, Random House had an event and they had a fiction panel there and I think it was it seems like the people who were presenting were presenting graphic memoirs. Mira Jacob, I guess she's written a novel. She talks about a book that she wanted to write and she knew that she wanted to do the drawings for it herself and she didn't know how to draw. So she, I guess, spent a year just like looking at YouTube videos and learning how to draw. And she's an Indian woman. She is in a mixed race relationship her husband is Jewish and they have a son who is four years old or I think maybe he was four years old at the time that she had an idea the idea to write this book which ended up being called Good Talk and it was about her little boy asking her you know like he's obsessed with Michael Jackson and things are going on in the news I think like Ferguson is happening in the news and he's seeing that people who are brown are being targeted and he's also confused by Michael Jackson, who, of course, you know, at one point he appears as a black man, and then he's this, I guess, nebulous kind of racial category that he created himself. So he has lots of questions about race, and if he'll turn white, and whether his father, you know, is it possible for him to turn white like his father? So just lots of questions about race and what that means. And she started thinking about her life and how a lot of the things that she had faced growing up she thought that maybe we would get to a point where those things would would not be as prevalent or they would resolve themselves. But as she's looking for answers to give to her little boy, she realizes that some things haven't changed as much as she would have liked. And it 
So her whole graphic novel is about their lives together and the questions that he asks and her search through her own past to give him answers that are reasonable and what her hopes are for the future. And the book starts, I believe, he starts asking her questions, I believe, when he's six. And it's either, I think it's in 2014. So it goes up through the election of Donald Trump and like the differences that she has with her husband's family who are Trump supporters and and talking to her little boy about what that means and it goes right up until his until his election so it's really good hmm. it's like really good book hmm. I've seen that book around I just didn't know what it was right right and when she explained that she had to draw for this book it was really intriguing and so it's just an amalgamation of drawings that she's done and you you know she'll place them on the backdrop against the city but you know it's about her relationship and finding her husband and navigating all these questions that they have at one point her son asked her if his father is afraid of him because he is brown-skinned and his father isn't and so it's issues about how he doesn't even want to ask his father certain questions so I've been seeing a lot of stories come out where uh, either it's mixed race families are talking about what it is to raise a family in this environment and how they relate to their marriages and their children and their parents. This is the first that I've I've seen that's been a graphic memoir, but it was just, it was really well done. I wish she had I wish she had continued to go up through current times, but it it stops at the election. It stops with them, like, um, yeah, with Trump being elected and then her final thoughts on on how they'll be navigating the future as a family. Hmm. It's a graphic memoir. I picked it up. I read it one morning. Like, I couldn't put it down. It's really good. So that's Good Talk yeah. by Mira Jacob. Okay. Oh, I read Daisy Jones and the Six. <gasps> Yay, finally! <laughs> And did you like it? I really liked it. I thought that I would like it. Like, I think I had read a few chapters when I first got the ARC. And I thought that it it felt like an engrossing story told in that style, like that round table retrospective style. And I was real, you know, that I really enjoyed. And I really enjoyed it all the way through. Like, I loved the push-pull with the relationship that Daisy has with, the six and of course especially with Billy I thought it touched upon a lot you know like a a lot of different things like you know Daisy is from a very wealthy family and but at the same time she's abandoned by her parents but it also sort of addresses her privilege and being wealthy both their privilege and being like the the charismatic people like how you know how they influence this band and how they influence things around them by having the the charisma and the beauty that they both do how billy navigates sobriety and his relationship you know like the relationship with someone that you love and provides a home for you and that attraction that could destroy you and i thought she did such a good job in terms of musicians and the creative experience and what you know a 70s rock band what you kind of imagine what that might have been like mm-hmm. I'm really regretting that I read that on Kindle because I mean I've heard nothing but amazing things about the audio and I just sort of feel like something about that Kindle did not 
lend itself right for that book. I don't know why. I don't think I like reading e-readers anyway. So in general, they just don't seem to sit as well with me afterwards as books I read on paper or audio. I think that there is something about a tactile experience that lends itself in helping you ground and orient yourself in a book. It's why like I will preview books like I'll read a couple of chapters I'll read a chapter just to get a feel for writing but I usually will read either I want to read print or if it's something I really want to read I'll just buy it and read it because there's just something fleeting I mean I don't even remember Mm -hmm. like this comes up uh, we have an interview coming up with Ron Charles and we kind of hit on that where they get everything in paper and there's there's just something really forgettable I find when I'm reading on my iPhone app, Kindle iPhone app, or there's something that doesn't stick. Definitely, if it's not like the most compelling book in the world, I will forget that I'm reading it. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Open it sometimes. It's like out, like, out of oh, sight and out of right, mind. Right, like I need that book that's sitting there. And I think that there's just something about certain stories to just be able to trace your trace your hand down the page or turn a page and there's something about picking up a book and knowing how to find a part you know you kind of just know where it is in the book I don't know there's there's a relationship there that I feel like can be missing so I see what you mean and I read this book and listened to it equally like it was it was lovely in paper like I really got into it I was at a point where for whatever reason I couldn't listen I had the book and I was reading it Mm-hmm. And the audio is amazing because it is, it's a totally different experience, but, you know, Jennifer Beals is, she does the narration for Daisy Jones and B- Benjamin Bratt is Billy. And so they have a mm. cast of characters and it really is, you know, like, it just sounds like you're sitting down in those interviews and listening to them talk. Gail, I think you really would have uh, liked it. I know. I wish I could send it to, to you. To do right. It again. Yeah. I was just like, you should. Yeah, I could get the audio. I could probably do it on on Scribd. Um, In fact, you know what? I have it. I got it on um, volumes on review copy. So I have it. I'm almost tempted to kind of redo it. Or just, yeah, just just take a listen to the first dabble. Yeah. Yeah. To see. It's it's tempting. I may do it. But I really liked it. And I also have, so now I have the audio book. I have the signed book from when I went to the release party. And I have an ARC. So maybe I will, I won't put it on Spivey Swap, but maybe I will put it in our Facebook group and see if anyone has not, yeah. if there's a person who hasn't read it yet and would like me to send this to them because I will. Yeah. All right, good. Well, I'm glad you finished it. And I'm glad that you liked it. This is your first Taylor Jenkins read. So maybe it's time for you to, oh no, you did Evelyn Hugo. No, right? I have Evelyn you, Hugo, oh, but I did not read it. So okay, um, I'm curious because like I said, when I was at this party and I was talking to people who really like Taylor Jenkins Reid, what they did say is that Daisy Jones and Evelyn Hugo are are a departure from her style. So will I be one of those people who really like the two most recent book, but I won't like her earlier books and you seem to like her earlier books and like her Mm -hmm. um, most recent ones a little bit less. So that'll be something that's that's, uh, interesting to think about and hmm. we'll see as I find time to read more Taylor Jenkins read yeah all right good so what about you okay so I as I mentioned last week was on this kind of stressful book kick um and I finished baby teeth uh I just 
get the point of baby teeth other than just to like stress people out. Like it's, it, it well, was, that's what it is. It's a horror book. <laughs> it's a, it's a smart horror novel. <laughs> so that's its whole point to just stress right. you out. And I guess I kept like hoping it was like some literary fiction thing where there was going to be some sort of redemption or closure or, you know, something that was well-written. I thought she had some interesting sort of observations about like, parenthood and parenthood and marriage and the interplay of those two although I found the marriage in this to be completely unrealistic like it was just over the top and ridiculous how did you think about the Kevin and we need to talk about Kevin what did you think about that marriage because I found the husbands to be similarly checked out from their family well I mean this husband had the same thing with Kevin kind of denial like no everything's fine although I don't think that in Kevin, Kevin, I don't remember it as well, but I don't think Kevin had the closeness with his father that Hannah in this book had with her father. I mean, she was basically, I don't, I don't want to give too much away with this book, but she was very attached to her father. And so it's a little more understandable in Baby Teeth that the father was not seeing what was going on the way uh, the father and Kevin wasn't seeing what was going on. I think in, in Kevin, he kind of didn't want to believe it, whereas in this case he didn't he he didn't see it but I, I found the interplay between Suzette and Alex in this book to be so unrealistic like they they were acting like kind of honeymooners all the time and it it felt you know he just kept falling over himself to like help his wife and yet he wasn't doing the one thing she needed him to do which was to like you know focus on what was actually happening with her daughter and yet she wasn't telling him everything and why she didn't just take a picture out, you know, why did she didn't video the damn kid? Like just was weird. Um, I, I don't know. I finished it and I was like, why did I read that? Like what, what did I get out of that? What, in what way am I changed for the better for having read that book? Um, you know, it was stressful. It just, I don't know. It wasn't in the end, it wasn't for me. So I'm, I'm gl- I guess I'm glad I read it. I was curious about mm-hmm. it, but it, I just didn't find that much redeeming about it. Other than I thought it was well-written. So that is finished, and I'm almost done with, with Educated. And I don't know if Educated has been so overhyped, and, or I don't want to say so hyped. It has been so lauded and universally beloved that my expectations were really, really high with it. And, I, and I'm assuming that the next, the last kind of 20%, probably some major stuff will happen. But I'm kind of I'm kind of fatigued by it. Like, it's there's just so much negative stuff that happens with her family. There's so much physical negative stuff. Everyone's always getting in these accidents and getting hurt and, you know, these gruesome injuries that are happening to them. And I don't know. I'm sort of like, I'm sort of weary of it by now. So I I want to finish that. And so I can move on to some other stuff. I started a book a few days ago and I actually DNF'd it this morning, which is really unlike me, as you know. Yes. I got your email. Yeah, I was so notable. I had to tell you, and I told Sarah from Sarah's Bookshelves because she's a big fan of DNFing. Uh, hi, Sa- hi, Sarah. I, know, I hope you're listening. Um, she's a big fan of DNFing. So I picked up this book called Me For You, and it was written by Lolly Winston, who wrote a book called Good Grief that I read a long time ago. And in fact, Nicole, Good Grief came up when you and I did our show on memorable moments in books. And uh, I, I really liked that book that she wrote. And this one just was not grabbing me. I found it kind of boring. And I was, you know, 
there's just too much out there that I want to read right now that I was like, oh, I don't want to slow down because I'm not engaged enough with this book. So I'm going to, I stopped around page 65. I'm going to just stop with that and, and continue on with some other stuff. So by next week, I should have some new things to report. I'm going to probably resume trust exercise, which I had picked up and then put down. I have a few library books that are tick tocking away in my room that are going to need to be read. So I'm going to have fresh stuff for next week. <laughs> well, I think that'll be better for you than even all of us want to even hear about fresh stuff. Cause I just feel like you got in a stressful book rut. And I definitely think that what you're reading before and after books is providing context. Yeah. Um, I did find educated to be fatiguing. My book club really did not like that book. Like they really, Oh my God, that's the first I've ever heard I that. Tell I, me I why. I thought I mentioned it. Um, Maybe you did. I'm sorry if I didn't remember, but tell me why they didn't like it. I'm so intrigued now. I think that there was a sense with that book, and that's something that I mentioned we were texting about it the other day. There's just a sense that there is there is the relentlessness of it, but there's also a sense that there is something that, with as violent as the relationships were with as possessive, I guess, as her father was, I think that there were some things that we felt were not addressed with that book. Not that it needed to, to have been anything else that came out. Like you said, there's so much trauma in it. I don't know that any more was needed, but there, it was just like you're giving us so much of a certain kind of trauma, but there seemed like there was things there that was unspoken. Uh, I think the level of trauma, I just feel like there were things that were not. You mean about within the family? Not only within the family, I think with a book like this, it's just hard to get a sense of timeline. Like she suffers, she suffers, and then things happen very quickly in terms of her uh, going to school. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you, like you're saying, like not a lot has happened, and I think a lot happens. A lot happens towards the end of the book. I don't know. See, I, I, I have troubles. Like I didn't care for the one that people like to glass castle, like that matter of fact violence is almost sort of like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do with it. And then the Mm -hmm. resolution comes so quickly that it's just like, okay, you suffered for 80% of the book and then you just went off to school and broke with your family. I think that there were also credibility issues for some people with this book. Like, did this all really happen? Yeah. I think some people tried to Google around and maybe they discovered the brother. And I think, there was mention that a few of the family has a few members of the family have advanced degrees. I feel like a brother has a PhD. Like I don't really remember what I read in the book at the time, but I remember one of my book club members mentioning that they were trying to find evidence of this town. And, you know, like I think she changed her name or I don't know if she changed her name, but she changed the names of the family members. I don't know. There, there was just, yeah, I guess the book just did not hang together for some people. Yeah, I see that. You know, I, mean, I was thinking when you were talking about this kind of matter-of-fact thing, and maybe like when you experience so much trauma as a kid and growing up, clearly this book is part of her coming to terms with her life and you know understanding where it fits in and how it shaped her. And she's probably been, I would assume, in some counseling to sort of unearth all this stuff and maybe the act of writing the book itself and just getting these words on paper and just sort of memorializing and and putting down for eternity what happened is a step in that process of processing everything and 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 
getting past it, but maybe it's too much to ask or to expect that they can get to a level of a sort of an emotional complexity with it through their writing. Like maybe just the act of writing this stuff down may feel very difficult for them. You I know? just felt like, I don't know that it was ready. Like I can understand yeah. people. Okay. So maybe there's certain types of violence. Like I just felt like with the, there was a really nasty sort of possessiveness that both her father and her brother have. Um, all you can, you, you can say that it was just a lot of physical violence I don't know. You know, part of me just, I just felt like there was a lot of sexual undertones to that violence. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can't tell her her story or, but I just wonder, I just felt like there was a layer of this that was missing. And if you're going to be so forthcoming with so much there, for there to be a sense that there was something that was being held back was disconcerting. And like you said, yeah. I, you know, and I guess, too, there was a sense from my group when they read it was, I don't know, what's the point of this, too? Because it's like, okay, so there's right. so much violence and there's so much trauma. But I guess the odds, you know, like, why do we like a story like this? Like something with so much overwhelming odds to happen, you know, is probably not going to happen for a lot of people in this circumstance. Um, I think that people were sort of fascinated with some of, you know, you hear she doesn't know. There's a lot that she doesn't, you know, if you, you are uneducated, you, there's vast swaths of history that people feel are really important that she knows nothing about and like sort of makes these ignorant, very ignorant observations about. Right. This particular group that I read this book with is like a racially mixed group. And I felt like the women of color in this group were just sort of like, you know, this could happen for a white person, but not really for plausibility that this could happen. Mm -hmm. It's just like they weren't the biggest fans of this book. And, they, you know, I do feel like it was problematic. And I do feel like sometimes it's just really easy to get caught up in this was awful. And she was able to change her life. But I think that there was a feeling that, OK, so this isn't possible for a lot of people reading this book. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that this book has gotten everything. Ha I mean. I just reading it, I was expecting something a little different. And I just was like, wow, this, I can't believe this is the book that I've been hearing about so much for so long. I feel like surprising. I've held, heard from a number of people, some other people who were trying to figure out what they wanted to read with their book group. And it's just like, some people have said, I heard it was like hillbilly, hillbilly elegy, but not as good or a little bit more boring or. Oh, it's so different from hillbilly elegy. Like, I, I I liked her writing, and I think that she does make, I do think that she is making an effort to, like you said, gather her experience and categorize her experience. Um, I do think that it is true that there is a certain amount of repetitiveness to coming to terms with things that I think mm -hmm. it can be hard to read about when there are such difficult things going on with someone. Like, she goes through, like you said, there's horrific there's just like horrific treatment. There's horrific work situations and just such violence that, you know, I think that she did a good job of um, displaying how people will come back. You know, if that's all you know, or these are the people that you love, that you, you end up coming back to that. But I don't know, but there's still something unsatisfying about the book. Right. So... What were you right. expecting? What did you what do you think you were expecting? I don't know. I mean, I 
I think I was expecting. Did you read The Glass Castle? I did not read The Glass Castle. Okay. I was expecting maybe less repetition. Like I, I expected kind of a more. uh, I guess I expected more of an evolution and less of a like this happened like part one, part two. I expected right. there to be kind of more of like, this is how my emergence into society or I don't know. I don't know. I right. don't really know what I was expecting. I just was not, I was expecting something a little different given how, just how successful this book has been. I don't know. It seems like some of the transformation is, is glossed over and you get a lot of trauma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. All right. All right. Well, I think we've <laughs> now you covered the educated, so I guess we want this was our book club on educated all right so let's let's quickly do our backlist book and then um we can move on to some of our april books okay i'm and i'm reading right. our book club uh, book the dreamers so oh nice I'm okay. 100 pages in because next week Great. next week we have our discussion on that so yeah why don't you share your backlist book what made you come up with this book Sure. When so is it from? I have picked. It is from. God, that's a great question. I think I read it in around 2013, but I didn't even look to see when it came out. So I will do that right now. Um, I picked a one of my favorite authors, which is Jennifer Haig. Um, I've talked about Jennifer Haig, but not really much on the show because I haven't read much Jennifer Haig lately. But um, she remains one of my all-time favorite literary fiction writers. And the book I chose is Baker Towers. Um, is that part is of a trilogy? A it's not part of a trilogy. Um, she did come up, uh, she did follow up after Baker Towers with a book of short stories called News from Heaven that involved some of the same characters from Baker Towers and some of the same scenarios. Wow, it came out in 2005. Ooh. So it's really been out a long time. Yeah. So it's not part of a trilogy. It's You can definitely read it on its own. And if you really like it, then you could also pick up News from Heaven, which was, uh, boy, when did that? News from Heaven have got to have been, okay, here's News from Heaven right here, probably 10 years later. So she does revisit some of the same characters from Baker Towers. But Baker Towers takes place in a small Pennsylvania coal town in the 40s and I think the 40s, 30s and 40s. And it's all about this town, which was built up by this coal company and um, about the people who live in the town and about uh, the company. The company, I think, was Baker. That was the, the mining company that basically creates a town in order to be able to supply the coal mine with the um, workers that it needs. So it kind of traces the rise and fall of this town and how after the coal industry collapses and the, the company leaves, how there's this kind of skeleton of a town left. Some of that is covered also in News from Heaven, but um, Baker Towers is definitely is a great standalone book. And I, I just adore Jennifer Haig. I think she is such an understated and observant and almost a a very, I don't want to say minimalist, but she's a very spare writer. And she kind of teases out the, the plot and the emotion of these characters in such a way that you just, you just cling to every word and you want to read so carefully and you can't wait to see what's going to come next because she's so sort of miserly with her, uh, with excess. Like she's just, she's very economic in her writing. And 
you know, I've read a lot of books by her that I loved. Um, Faith, she wrote Mrs. Kimball, she wrote The Condition. Uh, she wrote a book which I have had trouble getting into, Heat and Light. You and I have talked about this book a little bit, that I've started it and I put it down. That's a book about fracking. She's very interested in that part of the country, sort of rural Pennsylvania, and she's kind of the extractive industry. Um, at some point, I plan to revisit Heat and Light because I think it's the only book she's written that I haven't read. But I just I just adore her as a writer, and I think Baker Towers is probably one of her most accessible and sort of satisfying books. Um, so that was what I came up with. It came out in 2005. I did not read it in 2005. I read it a lot later. But if you like kind of a little bit of historical fiction, but lots of family domestic domestic fiction in a literary fiction wrapping, then I think this is a, a great book to pick up. I was just thinking about that the other day, because right now I'm reading this book called The Red Farm, and it's about Stalin's daughter and her life, you know, after she defects from Russia and comes to the United States. And it's a really well done, like literary um, historical fiction that's going to be out at the end of this month. And I was just thinking about historical fiction and how much, you know, at one point I really loved historical fiction. I mean, not that I don't love it anymore, but, you know, there was just a point where I felt like I read so much more of it and I haven't been reading as much historical fiction. So my pick mixes historical fiction. It mixes some things that I really like, like uh, real people lives. It's about Claude Monet and his wife, Camille, like, you know, there really wasn't a lot that is known about her, but it, it's historical fiction about his relationship with her and just sort of getting to know um, Monet as an artist. I was really fascinated with this book. It's by Stephanie Cowell. It's really well written. And it was really, he's just really interesting as a person because this is someone who has met a woman that he really loves and they have a family together, but he is so driven by his art and his relationship with his friends, you know, who, of course, who are other artists of the time. So this book covers a lot about how the impressionist movement was formed, the relationships that they had with each other, you know, their thoughts about art. His wife, Camille, was you know, as presented in this, this history was just had ideas of her own and how did she balance being a mother and she also wanted to be a writer, but she also had this intense love for her husband who was a difficult man to, to love and have a family with just because of how dedicated he was to his art. I mean, we're talking about, you get scenes of, their creditors being after him and still his only thing that he wants to do is paint or they're going to be evicted. And, you know, he's still so caught up in his relationship with art. So you just really get a good sense of what that time was like, who the players were, other artists who were impressionists, how impressionist art was viewed at that time and how it developed. And this intense love relationship that, you know, was, was the love was there, but it was just so problematic in terms of what they had to face. And that came out in 2011. And so if you like anything about art, if you like anything about Monet, or if you just like really interesting relationship stories, uh, you know, between people who have very strong personalities, you'll like this book. Hmm. That sounds interesting. It's really good. That seems like up, up your alley too. 
Great. All right. Well, so those are our backlist picks. We're going to be doing this every week. We'll be mining our shelves and our memories to come up with some stuff that maybe hasn't been talked about lately, and we'll each do our plug for why it's a good read to pick up. Let's go on to our April books. Um, last week, we each covered, I believe, one. Is that right? Yes. Okay. My book was The Last by Hannah Jameson. And I think I did the wonderful, A Wonderful Stroke of Luck by Ann Beattie. All right. So what do you have got for us? What are some more April reads that we can get okay, into? Okay, well, so one that um, I've – and this book has been literally all over the place – but uh, I've read enough about it that I think I want to pick it up. It's called I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpot. Um, Mary Laura Philpot works at Parnassus Books in Nashville, which is Ann Patchett's book, bookstore. And she has written a memoir mostly about, I don't know if it's a memoir, I think it's essays actually, mostly about parenthood and identity. And I don't know, I read an interview with her yesterday and it just made sort of tipped the scales in favor of me reading this book. Like she's just seems very realistic. This is not like a cheery life is amazing type of book, but very realistic and honest look at being a parent, um, trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. I think she spent some time living abroad with her family and about expat life. It just sounds really good. She's actually going to be in town in DC tomorrow night doing a reading and it's probably unlikely I can get to it, but I'm going to try. But I have seen, uh, I've seen this book all over Instagram, all over the place. And I don't know, I think I'm going to succumb to it. It looks good. So that came out last week on April 2nd. Yeah. I have seen that book all over the place. I feel like I've seen the interview you're talking about too. And it, it did pique my curiosity, probably just because I've seen it all over the place, that cover. Yeah, with those with those eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So my next book, I just my April book, I just mentioned a few minutes ago. It's called The Red Daughter. It's by John Burnham Schwartz, and it just I um, Random House like last week they had their open house and they had a fiction panel on their open house at their open house, and he was one of the authors on the fiction panel. It included Lauren Wilkinson, who wrote American Spy. And also Joanne Ramos, who wrote The Farm, which is going to be one of our book club picks for June, I believe. So I had not heard of this one. I was just, you know, The Red Daughter. The title didn't really do anything for me. But then he starts talking about this book. And he was talking about how his father was one of the lawyers, part of the team who was able to bring Svetlana over here. And this was after her father died. I believe he died in 19... 53, but she had still been in Moscow and she wanted to come over. And of course, this was at the height of the Cold War and the United States was sort of very concerned about the repercussions of bringing Joseph Stalin's daughter here. But then she has written a memoir and they want to publish this memoir. So I think that is how they are able to get her here. And she, I think one of her kids she has two children one I believe might be under the age of 10 and then I think she has an older son who she leaves to come here you know like she doesn't even let them know I think that this is something that she is planning so it's all about her life and what it was like to grow up with Stalin and how that affected her life and you know her love life and her children's lives 
and what it meant to make that break. But it's also about this young attorney and the relationship that they have with each other. Um, he's the one who's sent from the firm to actually escort her over to the United States. And I think when she originally gets there, she spends some time in their house on Block Island. And so it's about their relationship. Now, the author did mention that it was his father who was the attorney who went to bring her over. Like this novel, of course, hints at a relationship, what their relationship might have been. So I'm not sure how closely um, the lawyer's role tracks with what happened, but that's sort of how he got the idea from um, for this story. And it's so good. Like I'm halfway through. So that's out on April 30th. My next book is called what my mother and I don't talk about. Oh, is that um, Michelle, Michelle Fulgate. I know Michelle. Yeah. 15 writers break the silence. You know her personally or you know? Yes. She, she used to work. There was a very popular bookstore in New Hampshire whose name escapes me. And she used to work there. And when she moved here and I think she, first she worked at McNally Jackson. And then I think she worked at word in Brooklyn but when she first moved to town, we got, we, you know, we would get together. Oh, okay. So I know her, well, that's yeah. cool. Okay. So this is a collection of essays. So this is my second nonfiction. And this is about things that you don't talk to your mother about. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, different people have written about different things. It's about relationships with mothers and honesty and things you keep to yourself and things you don't. Um, somebody writes about having a deaf mother. Someone writes about having a psychotherapist mother. Someone talks about, uh, you know, the role that her father played in her relationship with her mother. I don't know. I, I tend to like these books that are like a collection of essays around a theme, whether it's about friendship or aging or whatever it is. I'm always drawn to these. So this one caught my eye and it comes out on April 30th. Everything's coming out on April 30th. So there's a book that I think that you had on your list that I've been waiting to come out. Um, It's called Kate May, and it's by Chip Creek. Mm -hmm. And it says it explores the social and sexual mores of 1950s America through the eyes of a newly married couple from the genteel South corrupted by sophisticated New England urbanites. Now, the title of this just really, like, I wanted to read it, like, pretty much no matter what it was about, just because I used to vacation every summer in Cape May. Like it's, um, it's on the Jersey shore, but it's not like the Jersey shore that you see in in those shows. Like it's so far down the Cape that, um, I don't know. It's like probably almost like a three hour, three and a half hour drive from New York. So, and it's just like this quaint little beach town where, you know, you, you go and, all the houses are picturesque and they have like this little cute town square and you know you spend your days at the beach and you go and you have dinner and this is just what my family did every summer so I don't often run across books that are set in Cape May even though this is set in 1957 um, I still wanted to read it and you know anything that is sort of like culture shock you know this southern southern couple that is adjusting to a new set of amores in a new england town that just sounded really intriguing so what attracted you to put this book on your list well i used to vacation a lot in avalon which is just about maybe 40 minutes or half an hour north of cape may and i have been to cape may i love cape may also it's just so you're right it's nothing to do with the (laughs) jersey shore that 
people think of when they think of the Jersey Shore. I don't know. I liked the idea, the historical element of it. I liked the exploration of the marriage. Um, right. Somebody sort of said it was kind of like on Chesil Beach, Chesil Beach, but very different. Right. And that was intriguing. Um, I don't know. I, I will say it's that mutual catnip. <laughs> yes, mutual catnip. Sarah of Sarah's Bookshelves DNF'd it recently. So oh. uh, was it a DNF or she just didn't love it? I can't remember. But she did review it and didn't love it. Because it had been, I think, on her spring book preview. Or maybe it was on um, Catherine's list. But So then I was like, oh, that's too bad. But I definitely saw it on, you know, it, it caught my eye. And I thought that I would want to take a look at it. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm going to try it. We'll see. All right. Well, we only made it through four of our April books, but that means that we'll have more April books to share for next time. So uh, we will hold those until our next show. Yeah, we'll just sprinkle and... them in because I think next time we're going to talk about, we're going to finally get to our men episode and share all the male authors that we love. Yes. So we'll also put some April books in there too. And hopefully I'll have some, some more positive things to say about my reading <laughs> then as well. Okay. <laughs> So thanks everyone for listening. Um, our usual plea, please, you know, share the podcast with people that you know and love. And uh, if you don't mind, take some time to go to iTunes and leave us a rating. That would be great. And until then, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. <laughs>